So with your prayers and with the help of the Holy Spirit, let's talk today about faith or fear. You decide. Faith or fear, you decide. One of the greatest things that God gave human beings, people made in his image, is the ability to choose. The ability to make a decision. Adam and Eve had the ability to decide whether or not they would obey God or disobey God. And they chose to disobey God. You and I have the same capability within us, and that is the ability, or should I even say the power, to choose. We have a choice today as to whether we will believe God or not believe God. Some of us may have come in today on the fence, straddling between belief and unbelief, and hopefully the worship ushered you into belief because we took a moment to focus on him, to lift up our eyes to the hills from whence come our help. We took a moment to lift up our heads. Oh, you gates, be lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. We decided to not just look at what is seen, but to look at him who is unseen, to worship him in spirit and in truth, to give him the glory in spite of what we're going through, to give him the praise and something transformative happens when we do that. And so some of us have now gone into, my faith is stronger because I've been in the presence of the Lord. My faith is stronger because I chose, I decided to worship God and stop whining and complaining and casting doubt. But today we have a choice. Will we believe God or will we not believe God? We also have a choice today of whether or not we will operate in faith or if we will operate in fear. Are we going to operate, live by faith or are we gonna operate and live by fear? The thing about faith and fear is that they cannot dominate the same heart at the same time. Let me say that again. Faith and fear cannot dominate the same heart at the same time. Either faith will dominate the heart or fear will dominate the heart. And when we speak about faith and fear, what we talk about is evidence of what is dominating the heart. If faith is dominating the heart, then the speech is full of faith. If fear is dominating the heart, then speech is full of fear. And so faith and fear, we have a choice today. Who's going to dominate? What reality will dominate my life? And as a believer in Christ, who's been saved by faith and who's called to walk by faith, I choose today in this moment to have faith dominate my heart. Fear is real as we're going to see today. Fear will be with us until we go and meet Jesus and see him face to face. But just because it's with me doesn't mean that it has to dominate my life. And somebody needs to hear this today because you have allowed fear to take control for far too long. The God who saved you by faith and called you to walk by faith is also a God who is a rewarder of those who have faith. Because God loves it when we come to him believing that he is. 
and that he is capable of doing any and everything in our lives except failing. So God loves it when we have faith. And in the Gospels, there will be times where Jesus would marvel at unbelief. And then there will be times where he would marvel at belief or faith. And I want to live the kind of life consistently where God marvels at my faith as opposed to marveling at my unbelief because I've allowed fear to dominate my spirit as opposed to faith dominating my soul. Well, as we come to 2 Timothy 1, what was Timothy so fearful, or as the NIV says, timid about? Because Paul says in verse 7 to Timothy, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. So what was Timothy What are we so fearful about? Why are we timid? Now, when we look at the passage and we're trying to do expository teaching on it or inductive Bible study, and we learn by asking questions of the text. So when Paul says to him, God has not given us the spirit of fear, obviously we ask the question again, what was Timothy fearful of? Now, as much as we can ask, Pain, we, we, we just don't know for sure. Timothy's timidity probably resulted from a number of factors. His fear, the fear that was coming against him, probably came from a number of factors, such as perhaps his natural personality was more gentle than rugged. Okay? Maybe his personality, he was just naturally a gentle man as opposed to a rugged man. And and that might be the case because we see this in the book of Genesis, chapter 25, verses 27 and 28, as pertains to a comparison between Jacob and Esau. The Bible reads, so the boys grew and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man, dwelling in tents. And here's the problem. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So the parents had favorites. One son was a man of the field. He was earthy. He was rugged. He was rough and tumble. And the other guy liked to dwell in the house. He was mild and meek and knew how to cook some stew, did he not? So much so that Esau said, I'll give you my birthright for, for, for that, for that uh, pot of black-eyed peas that you done hooked up. And so they had different temperaments. And so the narrative, the false narrative in society is that a man that's gentle is not a man who's strong. He's not a man who's courageous. Um, and, 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 and you got to be tough and rough like Esau. No, no, perhaps Timothy was just a gentle guy. Another thing is not being raised by a godly father because we know, according to Acts 16, his father was a Greek man who was an unbeliever and, uh, and he was raised primarily under the influence of his mother and his grandmother. So perhaps not being raised by a godly father or having strong male influence in his formative years may have contributed to him being somewhat timid. Or maybe he was timid because the thought of facing more extensive and unusual suffering in ministry caused him to cower a bit. Again, we said last week that he often gets a bad rap 
But this is a guy who went out with Paul on multiple missionary journeys. Whereas John Mark quit and went home, Timothy hung in there. So you got to be strong and courageous to be on the mission field, but maybe he just got tired of being strong and courageous. Look with me at first, sec, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. We'll get into this in weeks to come. But Paul says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. So Timothy had already been suffering, but maybe he just got tired. I don't want to keep suffering. Or the, the, the higher the level, the stronger the devil. You know, the, the deeper we go into this ministry stuff, these devils and demons get stronger. And so maybe there was a reluctance on his part to suffer. And let's also keep in mind, Paul was a different kind of guy. Before he even met Jesus, he was zealous and locking people up and all of that. I mean, he had a different kind of engine in him. Everybody can't keep up with a person like that. And so Timothy, his protege, may not have had that. You know, because Paul's calling, as we'll talk more about on Wednesday night in Bible study, he was called to suffer. I mean, unusual suffering with his calling. Yeah, that would be greatness where he would go before kings and all these people, but there would be suffering that would be the definition of his ministry. And so Timothy is like, that may be your calling, but I don't know if that's mine. Not to that extent. Or he may have been timid because he was dealing with constant threats from the people he was pastoring. Remember, he was overseeing the churches in Ephesus. And so there were bullies in those churches. There are bullies in churches. I don't know if y'all know that. There are pastors who are bullies. And there are sheep who are bullies. There are many pastors who have suffered from sheep bite over the years, but never told anybody. Um, and so he had to deal with false teachers who looked down on him because he was young. And, and, and constant battles and collisions may have caused him to run a little bit differently. You know, in football, um, Ray Lewis and Eddie George had a lot of collisions. And because Ray Lewis would put the hammer on Eddie George, it would affect how he ran. He'd be going through the hole looking for Ray, tiptoeing in the backfield because of Ray, the fear of Ray. And so I'm here to let you know, Timothy might have been like, man, these bullies I'm dealing with, I'm tired of it. And it's causing him to be somewhat timid. Or as we said last week, it may have been the overwhelming thought of succeeding his mentor, the great apostle Paul, who is about to die. And Timothy is in a sense frozen with the fact that I am about to step into the sandals of this man. And as we learned last week, it's not that you can replace your leader. You can only succeed your leader. You've got to be yourself. You cannot be your leader. Well, whatever it was, Timothy was allowing a spirit of fear to put his fire out for life and ministry. Again, we don't know what it was for sure. We, we, we came up with these thoughts, but, but whatever was going on, his fire was dying out. And the embers were there, and they needed to have wind on them. The, the gift needed to be stirred up so that he could get back into the fight. You see, there are three Greek nouns in the New Testament that are translated in our English Bibles as the word fear. So there are three Greek nouns that are translated as fear in the English Bible. There is phobos, phobos, and that's found 
47 times in the New Testament. Then there's the Greek word eulobia. That also can be translated as fear, and that's found two times. And then there's the word deleia, which is found one time, and that can be translated as fear as well. Now, let me talk about phobos first, because we're familiar with phobos. That is where we get the word phobia from. So 47 times phobos, phobia, is found in Scripture. And this word means fear or terror. And this can be used in a positive way or in a negative way. A positive way in terms of fearing God. Or in a negative way, fearing man. And it's found phobos in the scripture 47 times. Now, phobias are some of the most common mental illnesses that we face in our country. The National Institute of Mental Health says that 8% of all adults in the United States have some type of phobia. So this is where fear goes to a heightened level. Again, we all have fear, and I'll explain that in a moment, but some of us, it is a mental health issue. And here are some of the more common phobias. There's acrophobia, which is fear of heights. There is acmophobia, which is fear of needles. There's claustrophobia, which is fear of confined spaces. There's gamophobia, Fear of marriage. Don't turn around and look at anybody. Uh, sociophobia. Fear of social evaluation. In other words, you're afraid of rejection. You're, you're overly concerned with what people think. So sociophobia, fear of social evaluation, which is why we lie on social media because we're trying to present an image that is not really true because if people ever really saw what we really were, they would not accept us. So we have this phobia of what other people think about us as if we can read their minds. Then there's aerophobia, fear of flying. Arachnophobia, fear of spiders. Coolrophobia, which is fear of clowns. <laughs> Hydrophobia, fear of water, deep water. Some people, you know, don't learn to swim because of hydrophobia. And then xenophobia, fear of foreigners or strangers. And these are just some of the many of the phobias that people are, have been diagnosed with from medical professionals. Well, having fear is a reminder that we're human because fear is an emotion. Let me say it again. Having fear is a reminder that we're human because fear is an emotion. I have to say that because there are some Christians who want to come along and think that anyone who wrestles with fear is not really walking in the spirit of God. You know, they, 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 they give you this Superman perspective of a Christian that Christians never deal with fear. I mean to say that's a lie from the pit of hell. Fear is an emotion. Emotions like love, anger, peace, regret, embarrassment, the emotion of wonder, disappointment, happiness, sorrow, and yes, fear are biologically based psychological states brought on by neurophysiological changes. 
The emotion of fear is programmed into our central nervous system, and it works like a survival instinct. God gave us that. So from the time when we were little children, we have been equipped with the necessary survival instincts to avoid real and perceived danger. God put it in us. The emotion of fear can protect us from getting hurt. Fear will trigger either a fight or flight response in us. Fear, the emotion. And I remember as a boy going to elementary school and I would miss my bus sometime, catching a bus, the, the public transit bus, and I would have to walk home. And, uh, and you knew where the neighborhood dogs were because you learned that they will creep up on you in a second. Well, I remember one day I'm walking, this is before I learned the lesson, and a big German shepherd came out. And back then, you had a German shepherd, it was either named Lady or Killer or something like that. And so the German shepherd came. Nobody had to school me, nobody had to teach me. It was an intrinsic quality put in me called fear that caused the brother to run and jump on top of a parked car. Fear did that. Fear saved my life from getting mauled that day. So fear is an emotion. It's an instinct. It's something that comes from God that protects us, that keeps us from experiencing hurtful and dangerous situations. However, 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 we must distinguish between when fear is natural and when fear is spiritual. Mm -hmm. There's natural. We're human. There will be fear. It's a reminder that there are always things bigger than us and greater than us and stronger than us. There are deadly things out here, dangerous things. So, so, so certain fears and phobias hit us. But as believers, we need to recognize when that natural fear becomes a spiritual stronghold. Um, because Paul says to Timothy that God has not given us a spirit of fear. He's going to tell us what God gave us, power, love, and a sound mind, but God also gave us the instinct and the emotion of fear. So how do we differentiate between when fear is natural and when fear is becoming spiritual bondage? That's when we may need therapeutic counseling along with biblical counsel, pastoral counsel, because the God you serve understands your frame. He knows that you're dust. He knows that you will have struggles, but he's growing you and conforming you to the image of Jesus Christ so that nothing has a grip on you greater than his grip of grace. So he's growing all of us so that those things that we once were afraid of, we can have power over with the help of God, with the help of therapy, because God wants us to be free. Jesus saved us that we might be free and free indeed. But if there's a phobia that has become a stronghold, it hinders our freedom in our experience with God. And so in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, Paul talks about fear, for God has not given us the spirit of fear. Now I need to let you know this is not the word phobia, for God has not given us the spirit of phobia. This is the other Greek word, delia that I was telling you about. And it's a noun, and it's used only one time in the New Testament, and it's found right here in this verse. So this is a different word, even though translated fear, Paul uses a different word, not phobos, the traditional word, but dahlia. And the word dahlia, pastor, what does it mean? Why do you use that word? 
The word dahlia means fear, but it also means timidity or cowardice. So Paul is saying to Timothy, there is a spirit of cowardice that has come against you. There's a spirit of timidity that has come against you. Now, to be timid is to be easily frightened, apprehensive, faint-hearted, overly shy. To exhibit cowardice is to run from doing necessary things. Cowards run. They run from doing necessary things, unpleasant things, uncomfortable things, or potentially dangerous things. So all of us at some point, we have acted like cowards because we didn't do the things that were necessary, things that were unpleasant, things that were uncomfortable, or even things potentially dangerous. I'm not going on the mission field with Larry Warren. Something might happen to me out there. That's being a coward. And so when we talk about what God has not given us, we have to look at the rest of the verse to see what God has given us, that he's given us power, love, and a sound mind. And this verb, dahlia, again, is very unique, used one time in the noun form, but it's also found in the verb form a couple of times. I want to look at one of the passages where dahlia, uh, timidity, t- uh, timidity, and cowardice is used in the verb form. Let's go to Mark, Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Jesus would make disciples in a classroom setting, you know, the synagogue, you know, he'd teach. But he would also make disciples on the countryside teaching. And he would then send them out to apply what they were learning. But one of his favorite places it seemed to teach the disciples about faith was on a boat (laughs) in the water. He would use water and storms to reveal the disciples' unbelief and in order to build their belief. And so here's a situation where they're about to get onto some water. I'm in verse 35 of Mark chapter 4. On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was and Other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. You ever needed the Lord and it seemed like he was asleep? And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? That we are about to drown? Verse 39, then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? That is the word in the verb form, dahlia. Why are you so cowardly? Why are y'all so timid? How is it that you have no faith? Fear is dominating. Not only fear, but cowardice is dominating. In the midst of this storm, this trial, this test, 
In other words, Jesus said, I expected a different response from y'all. But y'all are tripping out, acting like cow. You would run if you could, but you're contained in this boat. Your theology is messed up because you think that I don't care about you. Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? So when we go through stuff, it's like our theology. We, we really find out what we believe about God. We start giving an indictment. Lord, you don't really care what I'm going through. But Jesus has expected a different response. Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? So in this storm, he expected them to have faith, not fear. And in your storm, he expects you to have faith and not fear. And he has to ask the question, why? And then verse 41, he calmed the sea and the storm and they feared exceedingly. That's Phobos. They feared exceedingly. What did they fear? They feared him because it goes on to say, and they said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? We went from dying one minute to the sea being like a carpet the next. And all this happened in the evening, which means the sun is going down. We can't see. We're in the midnight hour in the middle of this lake thinking we're going to die. He gets up, rebukes the wind. It's over and there's peace. And they turn around and they say, I think we should have been more afraid of him than the thing that was coming against us making us afraid. I think he's got more power than the wind and the waves that came against us. So it was a testing of faith. Everything is always a testing of faith. Who are we going to believe? Are we going to believe God? Or are we going to believe the circumstances? Are we going to rely on God or is a spirit of cowardice and timidity going to get us? Now, here's what we got to reach back and understand. It's simple. We, we can miss it. We can miss it. We can miss it. They're in a storm. They think they're going to die. But they forgot what Jesus said. Because Jesus said in verse 35, let us cross over to the other side. So if I make a promise that we're going to go from here to there, we're going to go from here to there. Now, I didn't tell you a storm was coming because if I told you that, you might not have gotten to the boat. But I said, we're going to go from here to there. And what y'all should have done was held on to my promise, even though I stated it casually. But a casual statement from, a Messiah, from the Messiah is a powerful declaration. So they should have held on to his word in the midst of the storm. And when we're in a storm, the enemy wants to take the seed of the word away from us. But that's when we have to hold on to what he said when we're in the storm. And I give the guys credit because at least they shook Jesus and woke him up. You know, you know they said, Jesus, we need help. But Jesus is expecting a different response. And what response might that have been? Y'all see me sleep during this storm, don't you? So if you're to mimic me and imitate me, you brothers should have stopped panicking and grabbed a pillow and got down here with me and went to sleep. Because if I'm chilling, you should be chilling. You ain't going to ever see me panicking because I'm God. So why are you panicking? Why are you acting like a coward? Faith would have been go to sleep. Your rest ever get wrecked because of a trial? You ever lose sleep because of what you're going through? Now, I got to give Peter some credit here because he would grow. 
he would grow. He panics here. He even panics in Luke 5 when uh, he asks, I think it's Luke 5, where he sees Jesus walking on the water and he says, Lord, is that you? Jesus said, yeah, it's me. And he's like, allow me to come out there to you on the water. So he steps out of the boat while the other 11 are staying in there and he walks on the water to Jesus. He had faith. But he started what? Looking around at the wind and the waves and the storm and then he what? Sank. We sink when we take our eyes off Jesus. A lot of times we're like Peter. We have the faith. Here it is. To get out of the boat by faith and, and walk to Jesus. But then fear gets us. We start looking around and we start sinking. We got the faith to get out of the boat, but not the faith to keep walking. But if the God who calls you to get out of the boat says, come on, he'll give you the strength to keep walking. But you can't do it in your own strength. You can only do it to the strength that you rely on him and keep your eyes on him. But Peter failed there. But I'm so glad he didn't have to hit all the way down to the bottom before he said, Jesus, help me. So somebody today may be drowning in fear. It's not too late for you to say, Jesus, help me. Not only lift me up out of the water, but up out of the miry clay and place my feet on a rock and establish my goings. That's the kind of God that you are. You don't want anything overwhelming me, overcoming me. You want me walking on top of this thing, not being drowned by this thing. So my eyes are on you, Jesus. But the boy grew. The boy grew. Pastor, how do you know? Remember I said Jesus was asleep? He expected a different response. Like faith says, go to sleep. Fear says panic. In Acts chapter 12, Peter has been arrested and James has been martyred already by Herod. And now they're getting ready to kill Peter. And the day before his execution, at night, Peter is not panicking. Peter is not afraid. Peter is not timid. Peter is not cowardly. Peter is sleep. I said Peter is sleep. The night before, they come and say, we're going to kill him the next day. Homeboy is... Why was he asleep? I think it has something to do with a promise that Jesus gave him. That Jesus talked about when you're older, let me tell you how you're going to die. Uh, uh, they're going to stretch your arms out when you're older. Meaning that you're going to die by way of crucifixion, not by beheading. Because James was put to death by the sword. And so the idea was Peter was going to be put to death by the sword. And Peter said, wait a minute, my master promised me something. He said, I'm going to die when I'm older, and I'm going to die by crucifixion. I'm not going to die when I'm young, and I'm not going to die by decapitation. So therefore, <sighs> he held on to the word, which allowed him to have peace. But when we don't hold on to the word, cowardice and timidity and fear take so. He grew to that place. Can the Lord... See us grow to that place? Absolutely. We ought to be experiencing trials and tests differently today than we did last year and, and two years ago. We've been growing. And God is using the test to grow us. But the enemy wants to use the same test to destroy us. And we have to realize who's in control. God is in control. Jesus gave them a promise. He also gave them his presence on the water. 
He's with them in the boat. So why are you tripping? And God is with us in the boats of our struggles and storms. He gave them a promise. He gave them his presence. And then they saw his power. And because of that, they were then visited with peace. Not only the sea, but they had peace. So the Lord was working in that situation. So I conclude by asking the question, why was Timothy being attacked by a spirit or a demon of timidity, of cowardice? Why was this minister who has shown much strength in his walk with God and in his ministry, why now is he undergoing a spiritual attack from the gates of hell? A demon has been sent, a spirit of timidity, cowardice, and fear coming against this young minister. Why? Why? Well, the only thing I can think, because I know this to be true in my life, is that when you are a threat to the devil, the devil will attack you to try and uh, intimidate you and cause you to be ineffective for the kingdom of God. My guess is that Timothy was so effective that Satan had to send an, an assignment. I need a spirit of timidity to hit that boy and take, take advantage of his natural tendencies or his experiences. And, and I want him to cower. I want him to shrink back because he's causing too much damage on the gates of hell in Ephesus. We got to stop him. And the way we stop him is by making him afraid. Because when you become afraid, you become immobilized and paralyzed. Your voice box gets affected and you don't want to talk when you're afraid. Uh, if we can just stop this young man, because he's doing some damage. And so a spiritual father has to say, okay, that, that attack is real. The weapon has formed but it will not prosper. The attack is real, but, but that fiery missile will not hit its target because of the shield of faith. And until you can get your shield up, Timothy, I'm going to remind you what God gave you. He gave you power, he gave you love, and he gave you a sound mind. He didn't give you that, but he gave you this. So Timothy, you're being attacked because you're effective. The enemy does not bother ineffective pastors or ineffective Christians. He already got them. But anybody that's causing a fuss for the kingdom of God, anybody that's out there boldly living for Jesus, the bombardment will be you will be silenced because you are a witness who is ruining the power of darkness in this community. We must stop you. And Paul said, Timothy, you got to know who you are and what God has given you. So as I close, can, can, can I talk to you about lions real quick? Lions, lions. Talk about lions real quick because lions, they're used as metaphors in scripture to define three people. Let's talk first about Satan. He is described in scripture as a lion. And what do lions do? They roar, they attack, they're strong, they're the king of beasts. And so the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion, walks around seeking whom he may devour. Who is the devil devouring? Well, in 1 Peter, if we were to go up a few verses, Peter says, cast your anxieties on the Lord because he cares for you. 
Well, the devil devours Christians who are anxious. Christians who have worry and, and fear and concern. He's coming to devour those who haven't given it over to God. He's coming to devour them. But Peter says, okay, as much as he's a lion seeking whom he may devour, he's devouring the anxious, the worried Christian. He says in the next verse, resist him. Standing firm in the faith. In the faith. So resist the evil attack in faith, by faith, through faith, in Jesus Christ. Because he's a roaring lion trying to devour Christians. And Christian, you got to know that as you resist him in the name of Jesus, you got to realize there's another lion in scripture. How Jesus is referred to in scripture as the lion from the tribe of Judah. So, so, so there's the devil lion and then there's Jesus, the lion from the tribe of Judah. And in Revelation chapter 5 verses 4 and 5, John is weeping. Because all this stuff is going on in heaven, but nobody has the power to open up the book in the seat in the lap of God the Father. Nobody can approach God the Father. And so, so in order for the revelation to continue, somebody's got to go take the book and open up the book. And no one is there. No one has the power. But then the Bible says, but then I saw the lion from the tribe of Judah. He has prevailed and, and he goes up to the father and he takes the book because he has the authority to do so. So yeah, the devil is a lion, but our God is the lion from the tribe of Judah. Who's stronger? Who, who has more power? Who has more authority? Who has more weight? Who has not only bark, but also bite? Who not only has a roar, but who is also righteous? Don't let the devil roar and intimidate you. Listen to the roar of your master. But there's another group of lions in scripture. The Bible says in Proverbs 28.1 that the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Who are the righteous? People who have trusted in God. And God has given them his righteousness, making them right with him and also making them bold as lions. So as I understand my identity, I don't need to act naturally and, and be afraid all of the time at everything and be ready to run at the first sign of struggle and trouble. I need to recognize who I am. Who's I am, and God says that I am to be bold like a lion, and I learned how to be a lion from him, who was not only gentle and a lamb, but also lion. So, Lord, let me realize who I am. I'm bold. I may not feel it, but I'm bold. I may not talk it yet, but I'm bold. I may not live it yet, but I'm bold, because you said that's what I am. So I'm going to stop thinking that I'm a coward or I'm overly fearful. Oh, no, God, I'm bold and I stand on that in the name of Jesus. You remember the Wizard of Oz, don't you? Because there should be no such thing as a cowardly lion. That's an oxymoron. Cowardly lion? No, lions are bold. But the Wizard of Oz introduces us to a cowardly lion. Homeboy is running the whole movie. He's afraid of everything, his tail, his shadow. He's afraid of everything. And he said, if I can just get to the wizard, 
The wizard will give me courage. The wizard will allow me to be bold because there's nothing more pitiful than a lion who's a coward. And he goes to the wizard at the end of the movie. And the wizard who has no power, who's a fraud and a charlatan, basically says to the lion, you don't need to get courage. You need to realize you already have courage and you've been showing it at different times throughout this whole movie. Yeah, you were afraid, but you fought. Yeah, you were afraid, but you stood up to the wicked witch. Yeah, you were afraid, but you made a difference. So what you're looking for was already in you. I just stopped by to let a few folks at Strong Tower Bible Church know that what you're looking for is already in you. The courage that you're looking for, God has already put it in you. The boldness that you're looking for, God has already put it in you. The issue is, will you believe it today? Will you believe it when you're confronted with obstacles and opposition? Will you believe that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world? Will you believe, yea, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us? Will you believe that you can do all things through Christ who gives you the strength? Will you believe that God has given you everything you need for life and godliness? Will we believe it today? Would a spirit of fear dominate? You decide. Father, thank you for the word. Help us to go deep. Help us to live like who we are. We don't back down. We don't back up. We are the army of the living God. The enemy wants to punk us and make us not want to stand because of the fear of persecution. But Lord, believers in the past who were empowered by your Holy Spirit endured so much more than being talked about on social media. They endured so much more than being put down and, and left out. They endured so much more. So Lord, remind us that you've given us everything we need to make the stand that you've called us to make. In Jesus' name, amen.